Hello Inside, our podcast where science meets innovation. My name is Dr. Anna Latz and today we have an amazing episode. We have not only one, but two superb guests on our podcast. Dr. Nitu Bajekai and Rohini Bajekai are both enthusiasts and advocates for women's health and yeah, lifestyle medicine. They're not only mother and daughter, but also yeah, partners in crime, business partners, and both health professionals. They are going to share with us yeah, their wisdom on the field of lifestyle medicine. And we are going to deep dive into one topic that's super, super important for women's health, which is the polycystic ovarian syndrome, the PCOS. Also, the two of them just authored a book, which is called Living PCOS Free, which, of course, we are going to talk about as well. So both of you, so great to have you here and thanks for taking the time. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for inviting us. So as already mentioned, we want to chat today about women's health and the context of self-care, but also very specific about the polycystic ovary syndrome, the PCOS, which is the most common endocrine disorder in the whole world. But before we do that and go really into the topic, I would love to hear a little bit more about your backgrounds. So maybe Nietzsche, you could start and share a little bit about your journey so far. Thank you, Anna. So I trained in medical school in India and uh, I realized very soon that obstetrics and gynecology was my passion. And 35 years later, I still love it, you know, as much as the day that I entered. But over the years, I realized that while I was uh, operating on women, um, you know, doing hysterectomies, doing uh, keyhole surgery, as well as delivering women in difficult situations, there was something missing in my toolbox. And that I discovered was lifestyle medicine. And so my journey began and I had a personal uh, investment in some ways because at the age of 38, uh, I became prematurely um, menopausal or had a primary ovarian, uh, premature ovarian failure. And so I didn't know where to turn when I myself needed uh, lifestyle advice. And it took me another 10 years to realize that every aspect of women's health, there's not a single women or men's health or any gender. You know, when we say women, we want to be inclusive, want to include anybody who's assigned female at birth. There is nobody who does not benefit from um, all the lifestyle changes and modifications, whether whatever age you may be and whatever stage you may be. So now I'm a consultant, uh, obstetrician and gynecologist uh, in the UK. I've been here for 30 years, a consultant for over 20 years and uh, the founder for a voluntary organization called Women for Women's Health, which is basically meant uh, for women and the community to empower them and to help them make informed health choices. So, yes, um, very um, fulfilling career and very blessed, I have to say. Thank you. Yeah, amazing, super impressive. And thank you for sharing this openly. And yeah, Rohini, maybe you can, can add your story to it. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. Um, so my name is Rohini and I'm a nutritionist and also certified in lifestyle medicine. I had my own journey really with health where I discovered I had polycystic ovary syndrome and I had many of the symptoms that really affected me right from you know the time um, I was a young adult. So my 20s, which were a time of um, intense stress, but also excitement. And I wasn't really managing my PCOS and I was experiencing all those common symptoms, which we're going to be talking about. And it led me on a journey to regaining my health, moving to India and Singapore and making the connection between the food that I eat, the life that I live and my health. And it enabled me to manage my PCOS much better. So I also have personal experience of this condition, but I'm really passionate about helping people to regain their health and to live a life that's um, that, that makes them where they wake up feeling well every single day. And um, that's what I do. I work with clients one-to-one -one in my clinical practice. And I also advocate for lifestyle medicine and healthy plant-based diets as well. Great. Yeah, so um, 
maybe because we mentioned it already like five times, the PCOS, the polycystic ovary syndrome. Can we take a step back and really for the people who have not really heard about it or really in a vague way could give a short or not so short definition? What is the PCOS? So polycystic ovarian syndrome or polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS as is commonly known as is the most common endocrine condition to affect women of reproductive age, which means from the age of about 12 or 13 until one becomes menopausal, so around into your 50s. And, you know, we heard, we've heard about type 2 diabetes, uh, and this is very closely linked to type 2 diabetes. So it's an endocrine condition that has very widespread, although it affects the ovaries, it's not truly a gynecological condition. It, because we know that there is a link uh, in men as well with balding and metabolic syndrome. But in a nutshell, PCOS is a condition that affects the way ovaries function and so affects hormonal balance and has very widespread metabolic, psychological and reproductive um, uh, effects. And so it can affect different people in different ways. And so often women end up seeing myself, for example, as a gynecologist, they may see a nutritionist because they want to uh, lose weight. They might see an endocrinologist because they've got abnormal blood sugars. They may see a psychiatrist because they have anxiety and depression. So it's very, very disjointed. And so women are often left feeling uh, stigmatized. They often felt, uh, feel dismissed. And it's very poorly understood. Only one in 10, we think one in 10 people get affected by the condition, but some studies have shown as high as 26% wow. uh, of women can get affected. And up to three quarters of people never get a diagnosis. That's quite an impressive number. I mean, three out of four people who are suffering from PCOS do not know about it. So you described some of the symptoms you have. And if so, how would people most of all come to a diagnosis? What's the classical journey or what could our listeners also look out for? What kind of symptoms or signs or patterns? So most of the symptoms of PCOS are triggered by insulin resistance, which we're definitely going to talk about. And you can see this in a variety of ways. One of the most common ways that people might realize that they have PCOS is actually in frequent periods or missed periods. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you know, you know what a regular menstrual cycle should be, um, if you're getting really long cycles, so maybe you're having just a few periods a year or you're having your cycle is just a little bit delayed. It doesn't always, it's not always a symptom, but it's one of the most common symptoms. And then there are also other symptoms of those high androgen um, levels, which we're going to explain what that means, but essentially things like excess hair growth, Acne. So it's not just acne that you get when you're a teenager, but it persists into adulthood and it's cystic. So it often appears on the jaw line and the lower half of the face, and it can be quite distressing. Um, and then scalp hair loss or female pattern hair loss. And so that's quite common and it sort of starts from kind of the middle, uh, the, the middle of the scalp. And, um, and that's, that's another symptom of those high androgen levels. Also with PCOS, it, um, because of the insulin resistance, it can be hard to lose excess weight and easier to gain weight as well. So a lot of people with PCOS do have, are in, are in larger bodies and do struggle sometimes with their weight. And one of the most common symptoms is when a lot of people might find out they actually have PCOS is very late down the path, which is when they're struggling with fertility issues. Mm -hmm. PCOS is the number one cause of anovulatory infertility. So if you're not ovulating, obviously you cannot get pregnant. And um, it's, it's the most common reason why someone might be seen in an IVF clinic, for example. And then there are several less, well less known symptoms, even amongst mm -hmm. medical professionals. They may not even know these symptoms. And that's why um, you know, not everyone will have the exact same symptoms. And there are some people with PCOS who wouldn't necessarily have symptoms, although that's quite rare. But these lesser known symptoms often get missed. Um, and those are things like disordered eating. And that might be missed, especially in people from marginalized groups. So LGBTQ plus or um, ethnic minorities, uh, excessive kind of daytime sleepiness and brain fog. And then things like sleeping disorders, like sleep apnea, 
Mm-hmm. And then there are also the mood and psychological symptoms, which often don't get addressed, like anxiety, depression. These are higher in people who have PCOS. So it really does, as you can see from all the symptoms I mentioned, it really affects your whole quality of life. And if you're listening to this and you think, oh, this sounds a bit like me, definitely go and see your health professional because you should not be self-diagnosing. This will just give you an indication that maybe something's not quite right. Um, and certainly if you have irregular periods you and, and you're not menopausal um, or, you have, or you've got missing periods and you're not menopausal or you're not on the pill or other forms of hormonal contraception, you do need to get that checked out. But my mother would know that's really in terms of getting a diagnosis. Um, there is actually a clear path for that. Yeah, that that would be my next question, yeah. actually. Like, is there an, a must criteria? So how would you really yeah. say that's the diagnosis we want to take? Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a great question because uh, sometimes, as I explained to you, you know, PCOS can often be underdiagnosed or it can be sometimes overdiagnosed. And so there are criteria. We think that PCOS probably starts in teenage years, uh, but uh, doesn't get picked up because people are often dismissing you can have irregular periods, which is true uh, for the first year or so. So there are criteria which are ap applicable to adults and you need to have uh, two out of three criteria that was laid down by a group called the Rotterdam Group, the Rotterdam Criteria in 2003. And to have two out of those three, you can have all three, but you need to have two. So the first one, as Rohini mentioned, was to do with um, anovulation. So one is not releasing eggs regularly, which means that normally a period should come anywhere between 24 to 35 days. And if your periods are not coming in that window and you're having, uh, you know, 40 day cycles, 50 day cycles, missing them for two months, three months. Uh, so irregular or missed periods or delayed periods is one criteria. And that's a sign of anovulation, which again was the cause for infertility, we said. So the first is anovulation. The second is signs of androgen excess or laboratory signs of androgen excess, which means that you may have acne, which is cystic and which is, um, you know, adult acne. So after the age of 25, uh, or you may have excess facial hair growth or body hair growth. Uh, that is much more than what you um, uh, are um, willing to accept. And you notice that it's changing. Uh, or you may actually have blood tests that show, and we do certain blood tests uh, in the particular time of the cycle, or if you're not having periods, we check certain hormone levels, which will tell us whether uh, you have signs of androgen uh, symptoms or um, blood results of androgen excess. So the first one is anovulation. The second is signs or lab evidence of androgen excess. And the third is an ultrasound scan. So one or both of your ovaries may be enlarged. So the ovarian volume is important as well as uh, the number of little uh, follicles. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is actually a misnomer in many ways because they're not really cysts. They're just immature egg follicles that don't grow to maturity and uh, every month that the egg is supposed to get released doesn't happen. So they form a typical pattern like a pearl necklace or a rosary appearance of these small little cysts between two to nine millimeters, tiny little cysts arranged like a pearl necklace just beneath the surface of the ovary on an ultrasound scan. So one has to have two out of these three, anovulation, androgen excess signs or lab evidence, and mm -hmm. ultrasound. So you don't have to have an ultrasound to diagnose it, and you don't have to have, you have to have two out of these three. But for adolescents or for teenagers, you cannot use ultrasound as a diagnosis because ovaries can often appear multicystic um, in, in young people. So for teenagers, you have to have both those. You have to have signs of androgen excess or blood tests of androgen excess, and you have to have missed or delayed periods. So two clinical things that have to be there, not ultrasound. Ultrasound should not be used in teenagers to diagnose PCOS. It's, it may be used for other things. You know, you may have uh, another incidental ovarian cyst or there may be other signs and symptoms. That's different. But for PCOS, adolescents, You have to have the anovulation signs, delayed or missed periods, and signs or blood test evidence of androgen excess for teenagers. For adults, it needs to be two out of the three, which means ultrasound may also form a diagnostic Thank criteria. you. That was, that was very clear and also, I think, very important because it stresses that you cannot self-diagnose yourself with PCOS and you shouldn't because yeah. uh, a lot of the symptoms are so unspecific Then it's important to really have a health expert to help you find the diagnosis. So um, before we 
go to the like treatment or solution part and to living with PCOS. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more about insulin resistance? I mean, it, that the term just kind of describes that your cells don't respond to, so well to insulin, but what is the connection right. or pathophysiology to it? And why is that such a risk factor for several diseases? So we think that 50 to 70%, so up, almost up to three quarters of people who suffer with PCOS, uh, even those who have lean PCOS, which means they don't carry excess weight, uh, we think that one of the main drivers is insulin resistance. By insulin resistance, what happens is our pancreas, this little organ in our body, releases uh, insulin, which is a hormone that helps to regulate blood sugar along with other hormones. When Uh, insulin increases in size because of the uh, increases in amount when uh, the body cells do not react very well because there's increased amounts of fat, for example, inside the cell and becomes less sensitive to the effect of insulin, it sends a message to the pancreas saying, come on, produce some more mm -hmm. insulin. And so a vicious cycle builds where the insulin levels keep rising. Now, insulin is not just working on blood sugar. It also works on the ovaries and it increases androgen levels. So we think that insulin resistance, when you actually, and that is why one of the key factors for those who carry excess weight, losing even small amounts of weight can make the uh, cells, the individual cells, lose the amount of fat, open up the uh, receptors to become more sensitive to insulin. So the insulin levels drop. And when the insulin levels drop, the androgen levels start dropping because the androgens are produced by our, our ovaries. And it's a, it's a yeah. very <laughs> complex pathway, but everybody has uh, androgens. Everybody has mm -hmm. testosterone. And so I think once we understand that insulin and the higher the levels of insulin that are needed makes the cells more and more resistant so the insulin levels rise and then when it can't do its job anymore the blood sugar levels keep rising and so we know that about half the women with PCOS with excess weight become diabetic by the wow. age of 40. So insulin resistance is the most common driver in PCOS for uh, developing the symptoms. But even if you don't have PCOS, actually, there can be other mechanisms as well. Just putting on weight, we think, may also be a trigger in some people uh, because estrogens and androgens are produced in our body fat. So that may be another mechanism. And then there's a third mechanism. So it's a very Absolutely. complex condition. But there's a third mechanism where the uh, skin cells and the hair follicles may be very sensitive to androgens. So although your blood test may be normal, you actually have cystic acne or increased hair growth because the local um, levels of androgens are very high. But for whatever the, the cause, we have uh, solutions for it. So it's important to know that there's a lot of help available. It's not just doom and gloom. I don't know if Rohini wants to add something more because she's, of course, got the nutrition side yes, of things. Yes, definitely. Um, I just want to say for anyone who's listening who feels, oh my gosh, there's so much to grapple with insulin resistance is reversible, particularly in you know the early stages. Obviously, as with any chronic disease, the more it sets in, the harder it is um, to, to reverse it. Although you can, there are lots of examples where you can put chronic diseases in remission. PCOS, while it's a lifelong condition, um, and I say that as in, you know, you need to be on top of it for the rest of your life. You need to be looking after your health and your lifestyle. You can actually reverse insulin resistance. So there's a lot of hope out there so don't be feeling oh my gosh I have to live with this because it can feel hopeless you can actually treat this and do this through your diet and lifestyle and actually be symptom free and that's one of the incredible things about lifestyle medicine absolutely yeah yeah I mean the two of you are great because I don't even have to ask my questions are just flowing very well with you um, because I would, would have wanted to know okay what what is happening when I have the diagnosis? What are the treatment options? Is medication first line? And where comes uh, lifestyle medicine and the pillars of lifestyle medicine, like, for example, nutrition into play? So I would just start off by saying that li lifestyle modifications are actually the first line of treatment according to national and international guidelines for PCOS. So it's not some woo-woo science that, oh, you know, we're saying this, this is actually it will help you regardless of whether you decide that you need medication or you, your healthcare professional and you decide that that's the right path for you. It will still help you manage your symptoms and it will still help prevent some of the long-term complications of PCOS. So much of discourse on PCOS focuses on 
potentially just one area, just the fertility side. But there are so many other aspects of PCOS, including the fact that you have a far higher risk of certain conditions like endometrial cancer. Obviously, you're not bleeding regularly and having your periods. And um, also type 2 diabetes. Over the, the studies show that over half of those with PCOS will go on to develop type 2 diabetes by the time they're 40 years old. And that's incredibly young. So lifestyle changes are absolutely key. And what we mean by that is definitely looking at nutrition, which is one of the, the big cornerstones in making the lifestyle changes. And then certainly the other pillars of lifestyle are incredibly important. So moving, movement. And by movement, it doesn't need to be that you're in the gym every day. You need to be moving your body regularly. And we will talk about, you know, the different types that are especially helpful, certainly managing your stress. Um, people with PCOS have higher levels of cortisol, which are the stress hormones. So finding a lifestyle that helps you manage your stress, finding things like meditation, mindfulness. Um, it could be volunteering. It could be laughing with your friends, having positive social connections, and then avoidance of risky substances, so tobacco, drugs, and alcohol, all of which worsen PCOS. And we know that people with PCOS have higher risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So we, we certainly want to be looking after our health in the short term and the long term. PCOS, it, there are many of those long-term complications that we want to try and avoid by making lifestyle changes and having a sustainable and healthy lifestyle. It's not about a quick diet fix. It's about making sustainable life ch changes that are right for you and that you can sustain now and into the future. Mm -hmm. I just want to add, Anna, that... Um, you know, uh, as Roini said, all the international guidelines uh, repeatedly mention that it needs to be lifestyle changes along with behavioral strategies. So behavior has to change because when you try and do, and as most people listening uh, will know that, uh, you know, women often spend a lot of their lives yo-yo dieting, which can actually be worse. Um, we need to actually change the focus uh, and bring lifestyle changes in, in a way where it's not, although we know weight loss helps a lot in PCOS, whether it's with fertility, whether it's with return of menstrual cycles, whether it is improvement of acne. If you focus on just weight, all my patients will tell me that that's not going to work because you know, you can lose weight in many, many ways. You can do many dangerous diets out there, you know, animal keto diets and uh, various, you know, Atkins diet and things like that. That's not a healthy way of losing weight. What you want to do is actually focus on things like, do I want to get my acne better? Do I want to try and get pregnant? Do I actually want to, uh, you know, feel better in myself? Those are better goals because that is something that is more achievable through the six uh, lifestyle pillars. Nutrition being probably one of the most important and sleep, uh, you know, probably jostling at the same, um, you know, level. But you can't really, it's a domino effect. You can't just take one uh, pillar and have the most wonderful diet or have the most wonderful ex exercise regime and yeah. find that you are, uh, you know, neglecting what you eat or you're, you know, uh, not sleeping enough or you're in a very stressful job. So these things are so important. And all the patient groups that sit on these international guideline groups, um, you know, they're all told that follow a healthy lifestyle. And every patient of mine will come and tell me, that this is what people have told them, but they don't know what a healthy lifestyle yeah. means. What do they mean? A doctor, one person's healthy lifestyle might be completely different from another person's healthy lifestyle. And so we have to look at the evidence, the scientific evidence. And again, to all your listeners, I do want to stress that lifestyle alone may be very helpful for many people with PCOS, but not for all. So there is absolutely no problem. In fact, you may well need to have, uh, you know, drugs like the hormonal pill. Absolutely fine. Absolutely good. Great for acne. Great for hair loss. Um, you know, hair uh, growth uh, gives you contraception as well. So you might need to use that. You may need to have insulin sensitizing agents. You may have to have myoinositol. You may need to have fertility treatment. There is no shame. It's not one or the other. You may just need lifestyle, but Whenever you're on medication, you also should be doing lifestyle at the same time. Lifestyle is a given. Then you can add things onto it. And that's where I think we let our patients down. Yeah, that, that, 
Joining yeah, you definitely. And making the lifestyle changes will help tackle that underlying insulin resistance that is so prevalent in people with PCOS. That's like kind of one of the, the one of the main drivers. So it, it can, it's incredibly helpful. And we know that um, making these changes, it may seem like, oh, you've got to move mountains to do it. But we're talking about simple things. It could be increasing the amount of fiber in your diet you know, trying to walk instead of getting in the car. It can be spending 10 minutes a day meditating in the morning rather than reaching for your phone and scrolling Instagram. You know, these simple tips can actually make a massive difference. And yes, people, the modern lifestyle that we live in is incredibly um, disruptive to people with PCOS because there is, you know, cortisol dysregulation and these other issues happening with people with PCOS and our modern stressful sedentary lifestyles feed into this because we're always switched on. We're always wired where we go from coffee to wake ourselves up to alcohol to bring ourselves down in the evening. That is not a healthy, sustainable way. And for people with PCOS, we are more prone to feeling the effects of these kinds of things. So, um, we have to set boundaries and we have to take control and that's really empowering actually and could you give some more examples of like foods you would recommend people with pcos i know it's super super um dangerous always to give very generic advice but i think evidence can help us here also a little bit right yeah it needs to be uh, i'll let roini take over with the nutrition side of things but i just want to highlight here that being sensitive in any discussion is so important, actually meeting the person where they are, uh, rather than trying to force something because it can be triggering. Rohini mentioned that, uh, you know, there can be binge eating disorders uh, without actually having bulimia as a most common type of eating disordered or, or disordered eating. So, it, and just because people are in a larger body doesn't mean that they're not going through these things. So it's so, so important to really Take your time to understand your patient and work with them. Find out what changes they are willing to do. And yes, definitely, we know what works for type 2 diabetes works very well for PCOS. So, you know, Rohini will tell us the sort of foods that we encourage mm -hmm. people to try and bring onto their plate. Absolutely. So one of the things that we do know is that eating mostly plants is beneficial. Eating a high fiber diet that is rich in whole plant foods is really going to benefit people with PCOS. It doesn't need to be mean it needs to be 100% plant-based, although of course you can thrive on 100% plant-based diet if that's right for you. Um, but certainly shifting towards eating more plants, no matter what you're currently eating. And that helps normalize blood sugars and treat that underlying insulin resistance, as well as helping to promote healthy gut bacteria. Because the, we obviously, there's so much research coming out about the gut microbiome. Yeah. And we know that we need, the American Gut Project should we need at least 30 different plants a week. So we really need to be increasing that diversity of plants in our diet and including plenty of fiber. Here in the UK, only one in 10 adults get enough fiber. So wow. that, you know, we have a chronically constipated nation. And certainly for PCOS, <laughs> to avoid those long-term risks of cardiovascular disease, endometrial cancer, the other issues that I've talked about, like obviously the type 2 diabetes, gestational diabetes, we need to really be making changes early rather than only when we're faced with a diagnosis that's, you know, really quite scary. We need to try and bring in these changes. So I, I certainly recommend eating um, specific, the foods that I recommend, I don't recommend superfoods or taking a specific thing that's going to, mm -hmm. you know, transform your PCOS. It really is, this is achievable pretty much on any budget um, because you can enjoy a lot of affordable and accessible and colorful and delicious whole plant foods. So I would suggest... Um, sticking to lots of vegetables, fruits, particularly berries um, and dark leafy greens. These are loaded with antioxidants, but all fruits and vegetables are beneficial. Trying to stick to the whole food. So rather than going for fruit juices, which don't have the fiber and which will spike, spike your blood sugar and insulin levels, um, you want to avoid that. And if you're having things like dried fruit, have smaller amounts. Um, they still are nutritious, but try to stick to the whole foods where you can. Certainly with grains, you want to stick to the intact whole grains as much as possible. So I recommend things like quinoa, buckwheat, millet, oats, 
brown rice, red rice. There's a plethora of whole grains out there. Most people, we just eat kind of wheat and corn really nowadays, but there's actually so many ancient grains that are beneficial. You don't need to be scared of carbohydrates. You want to go for the complex carbohydrates that have those incredible B vitamins and folic acid and other folates and all those incredible micronutrients because studies do show that people with PCOS do tend to have micronutrient deficiencies. So we want to be eating a nutrient dense diet that really getting most of our nutrients from foods rather than from supplements. And I would recommend vitamin D supplementation. It can help with insulin sensitivity. I think we'll talk a bit more about supplements in a second. Um, but really, you know, you don't have, you have to aim for progress, not perfection. So if you are having a slice of birthday cake, that is not going to derail your efforts with PCOS. The very occasional foods that you might have at Christmas or something like that, you know, that's part of life. You need to be able to enjoy life and not stress and micromanage every aspect of your lifestyle that will worsen your PCOS. Trying to be perfect is not something that's sustainable. And um, so those are the, the key things. And then certainly lots of antioxidant rich foods like herbs and spices that actually have a lot of anti-inflammatory benefits and have helped lower oxidative stress. So turmeric and um, cinnamon, which actually helps to normalize blood sugars. So cinnamon is great to put onto your porridge oats in the morning. And then nuts and seeds. People often get scared of nuts and think, oh, nuts are really fattening. Nuts are really rich in the healthy fats, the omega-3 fats. So walnuts and ground flaxseed actually helps to improve insulin sensitivity. And they're really important. They actually um, can help reduce um, painful periods and things like that. So we want to be including those in our diet. About a handful a day is what I would recommend. But really basing your, your plate around these whole plant foods means that, you know, maybe however whatever feels right for you, it means that you do have some wiggle room. If you aren't fully plant-based, you know, you may have um, a, a few other things in there. But really animal products and refined products like refined grains like white rice don't really promote our health and my mom can talk a bit more about that and um, specifically what, what the problem is with sometimes having very uh, diets that are very high in both refined carbohydrates and sugars and in animal foods such as um, processed meats mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to uh, just highlight is uh, many of my patients will, I ask them, how many fruits would you eat? And they say, oh, fruits are bad for me because they've got sugar in them. But no, actually fruits contain fiber. And so if they're eating one or two fruits in a day, I tell them to eat maybe three or four. Next time they can eat uh, in a week or so, they can increase it by another uh, number. And so slowly you build up so that you're encouraging your gut uh, mm -hmm. to be accepting of the fiber that you're increasing, whether it's with fruits, whether it's with vegetables, whether it's with whole grains, whether it's, um, you know, I encourage potatoes with skin, uh, sweet potatoes. So a diet should look like a big bowl of porridge with a cup of soya milk. Soya is particularly good for uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome and also for reducing risks of breast cancer and prostate cancer. It is, does not disrupt uh, hormones. It actually helps with hormones. And so um, once one understands that it is a journey that you take over three to six months uh, and it's a journey where you start where you are. And the reason is, um, and why the, the reason why fiber is so important is because estrogen, excess estrogen and excess androgens get excreted out in our poop. And so because when it, uh, the fiber meets this, uh, this excess hormones, it traps them and it throws it out. When there isn't enough fiber in our diet. So people, for example, who are doing these diets that exclude carbohydrates, for example, basically, uh, uh, fiber is only found in plants. It's not found in refined carbohydrates like cakes and biscuits and, and white rice. It's not found in eggs, fish, meat, chicken, dairy. So you really want to be increasing the fiber because it feeds all the gut healthy bacteria called the estrobolome. And so they trap this excess estrogen, trap this excess androgen, throw it out rather than getting recirculated through the liver. So that once you explain to the person, they say, ah, I understand this now. And so you slowly start, you know, if you're eating. So, as I said, having a big bowl of porridge rather than a bowl of Cheerios, replacing the dairy milk with a plant milk. And ideally, you want to have soya milk rather than having, say, almond milk, which is not as nutritious.
is better than dairy, but it's not as nutritious. You want to have a cup of berries on it. You want to have some nuts and seeds on it. You want to have a banana on it. You, you want to eat healthy fats, maybe peanut butter, uh, Better to have, um, you know, raw nut butters than roasted butters. Simple mm -hmm. things like that. And lunch could be, you know, a baked potato with the skin and, you know, um, a chickpea curry or sweet potato with a with a kidney bean curry or baked beans and things like that. A salad. Starting, Roini always recommends that to all our patients that we should start our meals with a salad, a simple salad, you know, some cucumber, um, carrot, tomatoes, things like that. Very, make it simple, make it fun, make it colorful. Once you remember that, you don't, it's not a, it's not a diet of deprivation. It's a joyful way of living. And you will see the improvement as well. And you may need medication, not a problem at all. There is no shame in taking medication, but there is always room for improving our lifestyles, not just for my patients, but for myself. Legumes are incredibly important. And I did mean to mention that, yeah, that uh, you know, one cup of chickpeas has about 14 grams of protein. So people often think you need to eat, um, you know, animal protein like chicken or whatever, but you can actually get fiber, um, protein, micronutrients like zinc, which is super important for PCOS from eating a variety of legumes. So I'm really passionate about that. I try and get three servings in a day. So tofu, tempeh, which is a fermented soybean product, things like chickpeas, um, black beans, pinto beans, lentils. Lentils are incredibly rich in fiber, about 18 grams of protein um, per cup and about 16 grams of fiber. So really, really one of those incredible foods and also incredibly beneficial for the climate as well. So do try and get those in. If you're making a simple tomato sauce, you can blend in some red lentils or you're making a creamy pasta sauce, blend in some silken tofu. If you want to thicken your soup naturally, instead of using cornstarch or other things, why not blend some cannellini beans in? There are so many little tips and obviously hummus, such an accessible um, dip that everyone loves. But, you know, if you feel, oh, I actually don't eat this way and carbohydrates don't make me feel good. And, um, you know, there are that you can eat a plant based diet and modify it in so many ways. But don't think that removing carbohydrates is going to treat the insulin resistance because it simply puts a bandage on the problem. You may see that you don't get the glucose spikes, for example, when you've taken up carbohydrates, but you are definitely worsening your insulin resistance. And all studies on type two diabetes show that. So, um, you know, this isn't to demonize any food, but to understand that Certain foods are going to really help you with your PCOS and certain foods may worsen it, but it's the overall dietary pattern that is most important. That is what is key. Um, so many people say to me, is this good? Is this bad? Is this good? Is this a superfood? Actually looking at your overall dietary pattern, it's the same way that if you exercise once a month and you ran a marathon, that's definitely not going to see the same results as exercising three or four times a week and doing it consistently. It's all about that consistency. And for PCOS, this is extremely a key when it comes to moving your body, when it comes to, to doing all of these things, it's the consistency. Yeah, I love that you, the, to hear the both of you talking about it. And I absolutely so much agree because you stress that there's so much diversity. There's so much you can eat and you, you should eat. And it's not that you, you're not allowed to, to eat half of the foods, but it's just such a the plethora of things you could and you have can yeah. experiment on and also include in your diet. Uh, my family always makes fun of me because I like this term, like eat the rainbow, because it's so <laughs> easy to just have a colorful plate and it's it's really, really yeah. doable on, on a daily basis. Um, one, one question we get a lot, and I would like to be interested in your opinion in the context of what is it with coffee? So coffee intake is that something you wouldn't recommend is it then black coffee or coffee with soy milk or what what is the the coffee takeaway for for us today so coffee is a, a topic i'm extremely passionate about and i would say that the, the studies on coffee show that is an overall for some people it can be an incredibly healthy drink it's incredibly packed with antioxidants um it lowers the risk of certain health conditions including things like um cardiovascular disease type 2 diabetes dementia there are studies showing the benefits coming from the polyphenols in in coffee so those um are also found in things like tea as well 
Obviously, coffee comes with caffeine and that is a double-edged sword for some people. And this is something from my experience I've seen with people in PCOS, although we don't have specific studies looking at caffeine and PCOS. And since people with PCOS do have higher circulating levels of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and coffee can often uh, create a sort of unhealthy dependence and um, and and often I find that given the higher levels of anxiety in people with PCOS, coffee we know worsens anxiety and it can um it whilst it can be beneficial for other mood disorders, particularly things like depression, it can certainly interfere with sleep quality. And if you're a slow metabolizer of caffeine, which I am, I can have a coffee at 9 a.m. and the half-life of coffee is about eight hours, it, it will still be in my bloodstream. Um, potentially by the time I go to bed and it will be affecting me even though someone else might be able to have a double espresso and nod off to sleep I'm very jealous of those people because I think coffee tastes delicious I personally have switched to decaf coffee which gives you a lot of the health benefits and look for one that has gone through a healthier um, uh, decaffeination process some of them use a lot of chemicals and but without you know the negative effects of caffeine and sometimes that overstimulation which I find the PCOS not to be particularly healthy and um, but you know what this is a great example where one size doesn't fit all there's a lot of um, demonizing of coffee but actually it's the number one source of antioxidants in the american diet which i think does say a bit more about the american diet the american diet <laughs> um, but if you were going to have yeah. coffee certainly you would you could either have it black or with a plant milk rather than the way that you might have it at starbucks with all the cream and the sugar that's one of the the negatives about how most of us consume coffee now but an even healthier drink would be to have matcha matcha is a green tea that is particularly high in antioxidants that does have some caffeine, but it also contains an amino acid called L-theanine. So you get the slow release of caffeine. You get the mood boosting benefits of caffeine, but it's also extremely rich in antioxidants. And um, I'm not pronouncing it right, but I think it's catechins. There's just a specific um, compounds that are beneficial in matcha. So that's what I would suggest if you need that little morning boost. But even better, it would be something to have something like um, haldi dudh, which is golden milk in India. It's a traditional Ayurvedic remedy. And, and it's really popular now, the turmeric lattes that you see everywhere, because mm-hmm. turmeric is so beneficial for for PCOS and and it helps combat oxidative stress and inflammation. So if you just love the experience of having a hot drink, why not have soya milk and turmeric latte with lots of cinnamon and ginger and um, and and other spices? That's what I would recommend. Um, so yeah, you're not missing out by not having the coffee. No, I would just bring in one thing here is that there is no safe limit of caffeine in pregnancy. Uh, and the Royal College of Obsangaini for the UK is quite clear about this. Uh, and uh, while we still have some national guidance that you can drink up to 200 milligrams, uh, I, I would say that if somebody is thinking of getting pregnant, uh, then it's important to have a pre-pregnancy uh, sort of a meeting with your health professional so that you're actually you know, trying to eat more plants, trying to have the right supplements in your diet, vitamin D, algae-derived omega-3, B12, these and folic acid. These are important. One should not be trying to take uh, these um, you know, different types of folate uh, that are out there because they're not necessarily the, the right uh, for you and so it's important to take the national guidance but when it comes to coffee and alcohol less Mm -hmm. is better okay (laughs) Okay? so you want to really wind down uh, if you have the fortune of knowing that you want to get pregnant in a few months this is the time to start cutting down on the coffee uh, you know cutting down on the alcohol and getting it out of your system because you know you can have your uh, turmeric soy latte uh, if you want you know you can have your matcha drink whatever you want to uh, Uh, And then once you're pregnant, you're then already built on these Mm -hmm. good habits, you know, whether it's sleep, whether it's exercise, whether it's stress management, whether it's your diet. And a number of things that you may not suspect as well. So it can all add up, even, you know, dark chocolate, energy drinks. um, There are lots of other foods and like yerba mate tea. So you just need to be a bit careful. Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah, if you're not you know, planning to get pregnant, then I, I certainly think you need to know your own body and know what works for you. Perhaps try an experiment because that won't hurt, hurt anyone. So just cutting out coffee for a month and seeing how you feel. Are you sleeping better? How are you doing? And, um, you know, that can be really helpful. But I certainly wouldn't recommend, you know, the kind of 
doing having a coffee in the morning and doing a fasted workout for people with PCOS because it will we know that fasted workouts particularly for women can actually raise levels of cortisol in your body and actually the the benefits of fat loss are so minimal that it's much better to actually fuel your workout with some carbohydrates beforehand you will get a better workout in and you can achieve the same goals and by having that so even something simple like an apple with some peanut butter or um, a smoothie or something like that that's light that isn't going to weigh you down also mention the strength training Rohini I think in exercise it's really important for PCOS strength training is incredibly important for managing insulin resistance and um, strength training actually helps not only build muscle but it it helps the muscles get the glucose into the cells so it's a really incredible tool so if you're a cardio addict try adding some dumbbells to your routine try building it up slowly and one of the you know we've said a lot of things that probably seem quite um it seems like there's no good news with PCOS that actually PCOS is the most common menstrual disorder amongst Olympic athletes. And when they've done studies comparing people with PCOS to people who don't have the condition, they've shown actually that people with PCOS are stronger and they actually have higher muscle strength. So there's an opportunity there to get really strong, to be really fit. And isn't that incredible that it's the most common amongst Olympic athletes? There is actually an evolutionary advantage to PCOS that unfortunately are more modern day lifestyles mean that we haven't been able to completely harness, but we are stronger. So get into that training mode and do do a workout, find a, a movement that you enjoy. It could be dancing, it could be kickboxing, it could be whatever it is, but try and incorporate some strength okay. training. And if you find that high intensity interval training is really not working for you because it can increase um, those the adrenaline and the other stress hormones, then try a low to moderate impact activity like swimming or walking um, at brisk pace. And um, it could be anything like that. But you know, there's there's a lot of things online about you should do this, you shouldn't do this. Actually, I think knowing your body, trying out different things, find out what works for you because. Everyone with PCOS is different. It manifests very differently from individual to individual. And I know that Hello Inside is all about personalization. So I just want to add that there, that it's important to know what works for you. Yeah, I think that's a great summary also. Uh, I had to think about a former episode we made with a very famous doctor from Germany, very into preventive medicine. And she said... um, Our body is always trying to do our best. He's not like, uh, he's not, it's not on purpose. He's trying to destroy something, our body or keep some, uh, some hormones, uh, where they are. So as Anita, as you described it with the fiber, that's helping us to, to, to work really help the hormones to leave the body. And I think that's a good attitude to be like really positive that just as you stress, uh, find the ways that work for you, personalized, find find a diet that that suits you and that's also tasteful for you and also really experiment a little bit. I would have loved to know more about all the different pillars of like sleep or talk a little bit more also about supplements, but I'm quite sure um, our listeners, if they want to learn more about PCOS, um, they can find that probably in your book. I'm quite sure you're going to tackle all that, all that. Yes, goes into a huge amount of detail on every pillar, looking at the science. We've got, you know, hundreds of scientific studies in our book, but we've made it really accessible, giving people real practical, real life takeaways on everything. So if you want to know how to de-stress, how to really... And, you know, manage things like alcohol or things like your, when you're socializing, how to, how to navigate the world with PCOS, then living PCOS free. Our book is out early next year in March 2022. It's available now for pre-order via the book depository worldwide. And we would love if you support us and say hi on Instagram. Our Instagram handles are just our names at Rahimi Bajekal and at Dr. Nithi Bajekal. We also have websites with loads of free fact sheets, blogs, recipes. We're both really passionate cooks. Um, so we love sharing tidbits of information about PCOS on there because it is a really complex and multifaceted condition which there's lots of new stuff coming up constantly so um do follow us on there and keep up to date but thank you for giving us the shout out about our book and it's our first book together but we're really excited about it 
Yeah, I'm also very excited. I'm also, of course, already a follower and I can only uh, say that, that you're definitely sharing very approachable insights, which also brings me to my very last question. We always ask our guests um, one very short, very favorite self-care tip they have. So something they do for themselves because we always say practice what you preach. So what did you find out what really worked for you and our listeners could start with like today? Joini, you want to go? You go first. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, I've got, so my main self-care activity is walking my dogs. I have two rescue dogs and doesn't matter what weather it is, I will always walk my dogs. And the second thing I do is I have a little Indian broom called a jhadu uh, and I like to sweep the floor myself, you know, every single day. It's like a little meditative activity. It takes me five minutes, uh, but, uh, you know, before any hoover comes out or, uh, on some days and things, this is an activity that I really, really find so therapeutic <laughs> it's like emptying and cleaning your cupboard it's just so that's therapeutic. cool thank you and Rohini? mine is actually very relevant um to our book because we have a lot of affirmations in there but mine is a positive affirmations practice because i often find that with pcos you don't fit the societal beauty standards um when you've got things like acne or excess hair growth so actually saying affirmations to myself like i am powerful i'm strong or um, my body is healing. I find that this really helps me. I try and repeat them 10 times, five times in the morning to five times in the evening, or I will just hold them in my mind as I brush my teeth or I go for a walk. And that actually really sets me up with uh, positivity for the day and to end the note um, the day on and, and reinforces that positive feedback loop between, um, you know, that, that brain and my brain. And it's sometimes really easy to let those intrusive or negative thoughts kind of come into your mind. And I think this is true for everyone, not just people with PCOS, but having an affirmation that's relevant to you and what you're going through can be really helpful. So I am not my PCOS is really empowering because you're so much more than just your condition or Or that it's just one part of you and that actually for me it's made me so much stronger so I'm very grateful for this practice and um, the positive influence it's had on my life. Very beautiful and I, I'm quite sure that everyone who listened and watched could really really feel that you're so positive and very constructive and solution oriented so we will definitely link all the information you mentioned then of course in the show notes um so people can read it up because i think we tackled a lot of stuff and a lot was super super actionable also thank you to our to our audience for being here today with us you can also follow hello inside on hello inside official on instagram When you try to find out a little bit um, more about your body, as Rohini said, we are very much about personalized approach and everybody really is different. And yeah, data like, for example, continuous glucose monitoring, wearing that for a time can help you to really understand how immediately your lifestyle really yeah, impacts what's going on in your body. Uh, so I myself had very nice surprises and aha uh, moments in that context. You can also read a little bit on our blog on halleinside.com and subscribe to our newsletter. And of course, subscribe to this podcast. So thank you both of you for being here and sharing all that knowledge with us. And thank you to our listeners. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. 